Hello, you're listening to Only Israel in Albonica and Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. The Bennett-Lapid government has just passed its most important test by gaining preliminary Knesset approval for the state budget last week. If the budget survives various uh, amendments and votes and wins final approval in, in November, a scenario that appears quite reasonable right now, this shaky government could well defy all the gloomy predictions and see out its term. Passage of the budget will make it almost impossible for the opposition to bring it down, which could also have repercussions for opposition leader Benjamin Netanyahu's political future. None of this uh, means that Naftali Bennett's approval ratings are stable or high. In fact, the opposite may be true. Netanyahu's long shadow continues to dog Bennett's every decision and move. Netanyahu's zealous right-wing political base floods social media with endless campaigns shaming Bennett, while Bennett himself only has six Knesset seats out of 120 and has so far been unable to form a constituency of its own. But some members of his government are doing really well. Take, for example, Finance Minister Victor Lieberman. Having completed his previous mission to help bring down Netanyahu, Lieberman has settled into the finance ministry where he is living up to his reputation as a powerful bulldozer. Cool and determined, he maneuvered the budget smoothly through the initial Knesset vote, overcoming endless disagreements, obstacles and crises with the other parties in the government coalition. He projects uh, impressive self-confidence and stability. In lining up the candidates of his Israel Betenu party ahead of the March 2021 elections, Lieberman surprised everyone by yanking a, a leading academic out of his ivory tower and placing him eighth on his list. Yossi Shane is a professor of political science and international affairs who served as head of the Polisai department at the Tel Aviv University and is a member of the Council of Higher Education. He's also a professor at Georgetown University and a former president of the Western Galilee Academic College. As of June, he's a member of the Israeli parliament. Knesset member Shane is an expert of a wide variety of subjects, including political corruption, the conflict between being Jewish and being Israeli, and international affairs. He will be our podcast guest right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me. Andrew Parasoliti.
I'm privileged to say uh, hello now to Professor Knesset member from Israel Beitenu, Yossi Shane. How are you, Professor? And thank you for joining us here in Al Monitor in On Israel podcast. Shalom, Yossi. Shalom, shalom, Ben. I'm delighted to be with you and I'm doing very well. Thanks. I want uh, first of all to ask you, Professor Shane, what is like to move from the academic ivory tower with its uh, calm and polite atmosphere so very different from the sweaty, vulgar halls of Israeli politi- politics and Knesset. I will surprise you. I, I, I feel incredibly privileged to have made the move after uh, over three decades in academy uh, to the Knesset, where uh, there are lots of places where you can really make an impact where the discussion, as you describe, is not all, always so um, uh, aggressive as you see oftentimes in the chambers, but rather serious also in the committees, where I'm uh, facing uh, on a daily basis the real issues of Israeli society, where I've been privileged to be close not only to members of the parliament, but also to members of the government and contribute in so many ways. So for me, it's a transformative moment. I, as you very well know, I've been in the academy for a long time, especially in the, on the subject of politics. I've been the head of the School of Government at Tel Aviv University and a professor of government at Georgetown University. So for me, the transition is not so radical. It's rather, um, I would say, uh, Uh, even uplifting in the sense that you can really also translate what you uh, have been teaching and what you have learned uh, uh, into the practice of a day-to-day life. And I've also been in the, in the, uh, in the Knesset, the student of sorts. I've been learning more than uh, you, can ev- you can imagine. Uh, notwithstanding, as you uh, said, that there are also moments that are a little bit embarrassing or whatever, but um, I take these moments with a grain of salt and I always look at the opportunities there um, and coming after so many years in the academy and coming at what I would say in my age was the sort of uh, looking back and, uh, and what I've done. Uh, it gives me, I think, a great advantage um, as a member of Knesset. In another life or maybe another podcast, I would uh, like to ask you about the differences between uh, politics in Tel Aviv And in uh, Georgetown, but uh, this is not our issue today. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, will, I will interrupt by saying, you know, that there is a story that is being told about Woodrow Wilson, the uh, former president of the United States, who left who, after departing the presidency, became the, 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 uh, the president of Princeton University and was asked why he made the move from the presidency of the United States to be the president of, of Princeton. He said, because I'm sick and tired of politics, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's good. I, but about politics, Israeli politics, how did you wind up in Israel Beitenu of all places, which was for years the party that uh, represented the immigrants from the Soviet Union? And um, can you tell us about your relationship with Avigdor Lieberman? I, I, I would not imagine both of you, you from the academy, And he, uh, you know, from where? From the Soviet Union, from the Knesset, from the Likud. So tell us a little bit about it. 
First of all, you, I don't know if you'll be surprised or not, because um, not so many people know, uh, Avigdor Lieberman is a man of ideas. He also studied political science at Hebrew University when he was a young man who moved to Israel. He's a man who wrote poetry and even won, uh, won an award when he was, uh, yeah. uh, before he moved to Israel. So he's a man of ideas. He's a man of, who is interested in, in history and politics. And uh, our, uh, our acquaintance goes back when he was the foreign minister of Israel, when he called upon me of course, in a discreet fashion to consult with me on various occasions when he had lots of um, things on his table. And I came to his office and as a foreign minister, so, and we struck sort of like this friendship. In fact, he was hoping that I will join him many, many years ago, but I couldn't do it. I was writing a book and I was preoccupied as, a, as the head of the school here, but I always find him to be uh, someone of ideas, a serious man. We never had at the time a, a personal, uh, uh, relations. We just spoke professionally. And then uh, all, almost two years ago, he approached me again uh, on the subject of state and religion, and eventually also as the head of the coronavirus committee that he established as part of Israel Beiteinu. And we got closer uh, and spoke about so many issues as the head of the committee that he appointed. So we got closer. And at this time, at this round, you know, we had so many rounds of elections. When the opportunity presented itself and he uh, asked me, would you be willing to join us? And I said, certainly, this is a good time for me. And um, I was ready to, uh, to jump. And uh, I'm delighted that uh, the opportunity presented itself. And right now I have to say that uh, Lieberman and uh, he is being a, a, a minister of treasury is one of the better a, a surprises of this coalition, but maybe we'll get to there later. Let's talk about Bennett's recent Washington visit. You're very familiar with the sensitive and important Washington-Jerusalem axis. On the one hand, Bennett and Biden are polar opposites in terms of their views, but their meeting seemed quite successful. What do you see as the key to, to this success? Look, there are several issues here, and if you will allow me, I'll be a little bit more expansive here in my, my, my remarks, because Bennett comes on the hill of uh, two major changes that occurred. One is the transformation of regime, I would say, not just the government in America, because the Democrats saw the, the, uh, the rise of Biden, the victory of Biden to the, to the presidency after it was uh, almost... Uh, I would say in a revolutionary fashion, uh, was objected by the um, Trump administration or the Trump camp as something that came to change America in a different direction regarding democracy. And that was a major shift in Washington. Second is that the Biden administration that came to the White House with the intention of dealing primarily with domestic issues after the events that shook the world of the 6th of January on the, on, on the hills of the Capitol, if you remember very well, um, saw in the alliance between the Israeli former government and Netanyahu in particular, and the Trump administration as a way of marking their uh, nemesis. So in that respect, Netanyahu and Trump were seen as one camp to the democratic uh, uh, um, administration. 
Um, notwithstanding again, and, or regardless of this, the administration knew that we have strong relations. So they were waiting for a new government to be formed after our many crises here in Israel. And so, and they were not showing any love to Netanyahu and therefore he was not invited. They had to inform themselves about the policy in the Middle East. They had to inform themselves about their own strategic goals, which they have not defined yet in the White House. So there were lots of things that the Americans were unprepared to deal with Israel in light of the two points I made. One is the close net uh, between uh, Netanyahu and the Trump administration. And second, regarding their own position in the Middle East because of other many issues, including vis-a-vis -vis Saudi Arabia, vis-a-vis -vis the Iranians, et cetera, et cetera. We know there is a lot of things on the table. Bennett, on the other hand, came at the head of a, on the, at the head of a coalition, which is not reflecting Bennett's persona only. It does not reflect Bennett sort of as a representative of the right, right wing government, but rather as an opposite to Netanyahu. And second is a plurality of ideas in the Bennett administration that really uh, 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 put Washington in a, in, 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 in a position to watch and see what will happen. And in fact, they wanted to have good relations from the start, understanding that they can undercut Bennett by being hostile to him. Having said what I just said, pay attention also to the developments that led to the Bennett visit, which is first and foremost, the achievement that the Trump and the Netanyahu administration had in the Middle East, and they had to build on it. Two, what happened on the issue of the Iranian nuclear deal, which is now in a very different position than it used to be in the policy of the, of the Biden administration is such that they wanted to deal with the Iranians, yet the new administration in Iran is somewhat reluctant and hostile. And third, if not the first, is what happened to the Americans as a result of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. All this of is, this- This is a different question I wanted to ask you about. So leave Afghanistan aside, okay. But what I'm saying is all of this came to be a moment for Bennett to come to Washington and be received was a much congealing moment, a moment that they wanted to heal relations. They wanted to build relation afresh because the animosity that grew between the Democrats and Netanyahu. And this is a moment that the Americans cannot allow themselves almost to be uh, uh, in acrimony with the Bennett administration. Uh, understanding also that there are new, is there a new Middle East? There is the Abraham Accords, there is the expectations in, in, in the Middle East, including in Saudi Arabia and Jordan and other places that the Americans will rebuild or will, re, will, will build on the coalition that was, that was uh, assembled here of the, of the Sunni countries. So there's lots of elements here that put the environment in favor of Bennett, albeit the challenges are immense and the administration is not yet settled in its own mind where does it, they, they, they want to lead the Middle East to. So speaking about the Americans, we're not supposed to talk about uh, the interests or the situation in the United States here, but it concerns us as well. And I read the recently, I think you sent it to me, a piece by the, the historian uh, Niall Ferguson in The, in the Economist. The Just headline, published in fact today, yes. Yes, the headline is The Future of American Power. And it says that uh, the end of America's empire 
won't be peaceful. So we are not talking about the American empire per se, but how do you think the traumatic American pullout from Afghanistan and the harsh criticism of Biden will impact United States policy in the Middle East in general? And as regards uh, our Northern Front vis-a-vis uh, Iran, Hezbollah and Syria in particular? Look, the American administration after the pullout from Afghanistan, the painful pullout from Afghanistan, uh, has to reassemble the forces and understand, as I suggested, what are the goals now, what are the urgencies, and what can be done? What are the interests of America? We know that in the past, America had some geopolitical interest vis-a-vis the Soviet Union. Later on, of course, they had issues pertaining to the oil in the Gulf, and we had like others. Yet after, after that, they had the war against terror and what happened after September 11, which we just mark uh, uh, this week, 20 years to the September 11 uh, uh, tra- tragedy or, or, or debacle, whatever you want to call it, the fiasco of September 11. So the Americans are reconsidering where they are. Second, they have to reposition themselves as a superpower vis-a-vis China. And this is a huge issue for them. So this is the mega issue for the administration and they have to think what they want. Israel has always been a major, major ally to the United States on all fronts and supplied to the United States a certain buffer zone, not with, regardless of the dates that we had with them on the Palestinian issue and other issues, here the Americans have an opportunity to sit together with the Israelis who are also well-equipped in terms of intelligence and other issues, and to really understand what are the risks and what are the advantages or disadvantages that the Middle East presents. And the Middle East always presented to the United States disadvantages and challenges. They really see that things coming to their shores. They are are looking at what happened in the downfall of of, of Lebanon and the rise of Hezbollah. And they know that this something will will harm them. Remember that the the, the greatest United States uh, disaster for the Marines was when the Marines uh, moved to Lebanon and 241 Marines were Mm. killed in in the barracks with, with a suicide bombing. And they're leery about that. They also understand there is some new alliance with Egypt, with Sisi, which the Democratic administration did not so understand because it was against their grain that Sisi, as, as, as a military regime, took over Mursi. And so it took them some time. They also had some very uh, uh, rocky relation with the Saudis because of the Hashogi affair. So they have to put it together. And Israel, in all of this, is a great ally. And yet the big issue is of course Iran. What needs to be done? What are the boundaries? And Israel can chart for them the boundaries. Israel can help them. They know they have to work with the Israelis, notwithstanding. And again, regardless of their own questions about the Palestinians, about issues in Gaza and so on and so forth. So here we are with the American, as we said, empire, as Ferguson writes about it, is really finding itself in, in a very, very delicate moment when some like Ferguson and others are claiming that America is a major decline. We have the declinist of America for quite some time. The literature about American decline is, has been with us since the early to, uh, 21st century. Others are saying, you know, America is always the indispensable n- nation and the powerful nation that will not decline. But we know also America suffered domestically. So we saw the domestic riots in America. We saw the, the Black Lives Matter in America. America is bleeding. We see now the, the, the disasters uh, uh, in, in terms of environment and so on. So America is in a certain position that it has to be 
Uh, some people are becoming more pessimistic about it. And yet we know that America is also the beacon of democracy, regardless of its failures. And we don't know who will replace America. Israel also understand that without America, the world will be much bleaker than it is right now. So uh, uh, even though America may not be strong as we wish it to be right now, or it seems to be like that, America is our ally. So there is much to be talked about, much mm -hmm. to share. We still do not have, as all Israelis know, a better ally than the United States. We still don't have an ally that supports us in terms of weapons, in terms of, of and, strategic and plans, be, but I we believe, have to redefine it. I, will, I believe we will, we will not have in the future uh, something similar to America. And as a follow-up on this, uh, yesterday or the day before, a missile was uh, was uh, exploding, I think, outside the shores of Tel Aviv after it was launched from Syria, when uh, when the, the Syrian system of anti-aircraft missiles were shooting yes. approximately 20 missiles at uh, what foreign media declared as Israeli uh, uh, Israeli Air Force strike, and one of the of the missing missiles was just cruising all along the Israeli uh, coastline and was not intercepted. And you know, next time it can fall in Tel Aviv, every moment something can explode here and ignite the whole Northern Front. And my question is, do you think the, the, the current administration will, uh, will go on or extend the, the, the Trump administration's policy to, to support and let Israel go on with, with its uh, campaign, what we call the war between the wars, the, the campaign uh, in, uh, especially in Syria against the, the efforts of Iran to get within Syria and to get inside Syria and to get closer to Israel and to, to export terror. First of all, I think that Israelis uh, understand that they always have to take their, uh, uh, security in their own hands. The Americans have no, I have no doubt have only the intentions of supporting it. And Americans understand that chaotic situation in the Middle East will do only harm. They have no love for the Assad regime. In fact, tremendous hate for the Assad regime. And I use the word hate in Congress and other places. They see him as, as a butcher of his own nation. And so what we saw last, just a couple of days ago of the debris falling, this is uh, of course something we have to watch. But I don't think that the, uh, the, the Americans will undercut Israel's effort to secure its boundaries, undercut Israel's effort to prevent the Hezbollah from taking hold over the, uh, the Syrian Golan, from preventing Iran from nourishing its own posts on the, south, on the northern border. I don't think that the Americans, as before, during the Obama administration, there was a vision that the Iranians, especially in light of the ISIS, can be a stabilizing force in the Middle East. This era has gone. And of course, from the point of view of Israelis, this era has gone a long time ago, and we will act. And this is nothing to do with which government. I think there is a tremendous commitment of this government to do anything in its power to prevent it and to act if needed. And the same goes for the southern border. And I don't think in any way or fashion that Americans will intervene against Israel or will prevent Israel from acting on all fronts. And we saw it also in the last uh, uh, war in Gaza, where the Americans basically gave Israel all the leeway it needed. I don't mean gave Israel, but did not intervene to prevent Israel from doing what Israel thought is the right action vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the Hamas. So in that respect, I don't see this administration 
um, not the not the Secretary of State Blinken, and not the the the, uh, the uh, Pentagon and the National Security Advisors. Everybody is on board with the Israelis, having very very strong ties, and these ties I think will continue and will be embellished and will be strengthened because we have a huge issue on our hand, and that's the Iranian issue, which comes now uh, to the uh, 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 the current administration. Yes, they have to deal with it. Okay, let's go to a little bit to Israeli politics. The fragile new, new government has managed to push through initial budget approval last week, despite being the most diverse government in Israeli history, made up of eight different parties spanning from the political spectrum. Do you believe in its life expectancy? Could it really serve out a full uh, four-year term? First of all, this is a remarkable government. I really look at it and I, when I serve in the Knesset, when I see the partners, for a variety of reasons, as you suggested, it came on the hill of a completely divided society, on the hill of the Netanyahu 12 years in power that injected uh, almost poisonous atmosphere into the Israeli society. Now, and, and this is without saying anything about the, the former prime minister itself. And also an alliance which was a weird alliance, which called itself the right wing uh, nationalist alliance, notwithstanding the fact that it had in its midst uh, ultra-Orthodox who are always questioning Zionism itself. So this was a, a, a something in there. So this coalition came to change Israel, and it came to change Israel and indeed as a way of moving away from the former coalition. That's why, as you very well know, and you write about it, the major factor in this alliance right now are people who came from the Netanyahu right-wing uh, camp, and therefore they have a great interest of preserving it. They teamed with the labor and left camp and asking themselves, can we live together and really do certain things in Israel? And many of their leaders, surprisingly again, have really shelved their egos and managed to work together in a remarkable, uh, in a remarkable move. Now you asked me a question, how long it will last? First of all, I think it will last for a long time because as you know, in Israeli parliamentary life, the right wing does not have even an alternative. You have to have what they call in Israel uh, a, a constructive vote of no confidence. That is to present an alternative with an agreed upon prime minister. But as long as Netanyahu is there, no one agreed to him, let alone, of course, the, 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 the Arab party of the left that will not join this. So Actually, this is not alternative. You know, Professor Shane, what they're saying is that the, the, the disaster the worst disaster for this coalition is uh, Netanyahu quitting and leaving the, the Israel. Some people politics. have said that. Yes. Some people have said that, that it will happen. You know, the second point was related to the budget. The, the one point that government in Israel, you know, can collapse is what the budget does not uh, 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 pass. Uh, now, we had, we had the first vote in the budget. You know, in Israel, we have three motion. The second and third will come only in early November or maybe the 9th of November. I don't know exactly the date. But this time around, what we saw that the former government did not pass a budget for almost three and a half years because of chaotic situation. I don't have to report to you because you yeah. write about it on a weekly basis, at least on a daily basis. And what we have here, it's a refreshing move that everybody is working and trying really to do good. Not that the mistakes will not be made and not that acrimony will not happen and disagreements, but people understand that this type of fragile, so to speak, government is incredibly, incredibly strong because of, of its fragility. And that means that no player in the government is stronger than the other in so many ways and they hold things together. 
And yeah. that is a tremendously refreshing move that allows this government to do certain things. And I, and I speak here as a member of Israel Beitenu, I think that if Victor Lieberman, as the, as the head of the treasury, who have done an incredible job, it's not just to compliment him, really, you know, in 49 days to build a budget after three years without any budget, it really is a very important factor here because he is someone with tremendous, I would say, experience in all the ministry, understanding the government, while others are still new ministers who are doing a good job. And they are completely working together. And I hope that they will keep this spirit together. No one always know because things can, can be, you know, like uh, uh, the, the unpredictable can happen. And the last point I make is really the interesting uh, alliance that was created with Mansour Abbas, the Arab party, that really agreed to join this coalition. And this is a refreshing move. It was it's, built it's, again it's, by the Netanyahu. It's more than refreshing, it's history. It's, it's, it's just, history. And it, it's again, it's a, it's a contribution of the right but, wing but, and Netanyahu. Uh, this is exactly what I wanted to ask you about uh, the next question. And we're out of time, but I have to, uh, because you just said that this coalition is doing exactly what the, the, the uh, last government did not do and getting as far as possible from the, uh, the, the Netanyahu government. But in the issue of Gaza, you're doing the same, and, and this is because a military clash with Gaza would bring down the government because Ansur Abbas and his Iran party will have to vote against it. Do you share this assessment? And do you think it affect, uh, affects Bennett and Lapid's policies on Gaza? If you can answer a short uh, answer, I'll be delighted. I, look, I don't want to make predictions because I do not speak for Mansour Abbas and of course his party, but I don't think so. I think that the policy, as, as long, and, and Mansour Abbas understands as, as well. Uh, uh, the Gaza conundrum will continue in one way or another, and the Bennett administration is, is reacting to every kite that is flown, to every aspect. And again, this is not something simple. Remember that other Netanyahu, we had so many uh, interaction with Gaza, wars with Gaza that didn't solve the issue. This is a major, major issue on our table. But I don't think that Mansour Abbas will withdraw, nor do I think that the Israeli government will be prevented or reluctant to act because of Mansour Abbas in the coalition. Everybody understands the rules of the game. Israel will defend itself. Israel will act whenever it needs to act. And I don't think Mansour Abbas will be the man that will break the government because Israel is acting and will join the Netanyahu alternative. I don't think it will happen. And uh, we, we, we have to act uh, as if Mansour Abbas is not in the coalition and, and join Mansour Abbas as if the Gaza is not uh, uh, the, 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 the main issue. This is a, a very tricky business, but I think this is how it works. And the government continues to act security-wise. No one will compromise Israel's security. And now my final question, uh, your most recent book deals with the tension between the Israeli identity and the Jewish identity in Israel. At the same time, uh, the coalition and your party seems to have abandoned for good its vision of achieving equality with the ultra-Orthodox by forcing them to serve in the military like all other J Jewish Israelis. In light of this development, would it not be better to end Lieberman's boycott of the ultra-Orthodox parties and try to bring them into the coalition? I will say a few things. First of all, I will say my book, which is called The Israeli Century, is coming out in America very soon. Oh. And it deals really with the, with, it deals really with the notion that how it happened, that the uh, Israeli allow, state- Allow me to say I read the Hebrew version and I recommend it uh, strongly. 
Thank you so much for, for, for recommending it. And I'm looking forward to when it comes in America soon. And, and the point was that look what happened to Jews and Judaism when the nation state, Israel, is becoming paramount, not only in terms of its population, but all that it expresses in terms of Judaism vis-a-vis -vis the diaspora. And I don't want to dwell on my book right now. The second question that you were asking is about the ultra-Orthodox parties. Look, Israel's greatest challenges, as put in the book, domestically speaking, is the rise of the ultra-Orthodox community. And the rise is being expressed, I'm also a member of the education committee, as you see 30% of the school children this year are ultra-Orthodox. Many of, this, uh, of the ultra-Orthodox are out of the state-oriented society. In my last meeting with Mr. Gaffney, member of Knesset Gaffney, when I said we have to create a Haredi status approach, which is combining the Haredi lifestyle and the status, he said, this is in Hebrew, he said, tarte de satre. In English, it means contradiction by nature. And I said, how can it be that your life and the life of the state of Israel contradiction by nature? What, what will be the approximation? We know, and that's the position of Israel Beiteinu, that the leadership of the Haredi groups is basically undercutting Haredi life by not providing them the proper education of modernity, by not allowing them integration into the, into the 21st century, by preventing them what we call in Hebrew liba, which is a core education in computer sciences, in math, in English. And we, as the Israel Beitenu said, we have to change it for the sake of Israel. We have no qualms with, with Haredis. We have qualms with their leadership that wants to prevent them from this education, from entering the market, from keeping, for keeping them uh, uh, poor, and for basically allowing this continued division within the society because of also the tremendous growth in terms of population among the Haredis with 6.7 or 8 children per woman, and also women getting married so, so young, and so on and so forth, this needs to be changed. So the whole idea is that Israel Betenu said, and this was our mission when before we came to the government, remember, we will not sit with Netanyahu because we thought that he is undercutting the state itself, because we will not sit with the Haredis, because they have to be outside and we will reshape the country. And, it, and also Neta, uh, 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 Lieberman said he wants the, the finance ministry. All the three goals were achieved, regardless of the fact that we were only seven mandates, and we are trying to push it in this not so easy coalition, but nevertheless, step by step. So one should understand, we don't have any enmity toward religiosity or toward the Haredi. We have complete disagreement. And I think this is a huge, huge disagreement with the leadership of the Haredi that I see in the Knesset that have no agenda for Israel rather to create an halachic state against the modern state. My book deal with this notion of the Israeli century. If the Israeli century will not be a modern state, will not be a startup nation, will not, be, not know how to combine nationalism and tradition in, in a modern fashion, we will not be able to exist as a, as a strong state and, and develop the, the, the epic of the Jewish people. This is something that needs to be worked and this is our mission. It's no less than saying this is our vision and we are committed to it. And it's not because of any, any uh, disregard to religion or hate over Orthodox. On the contrary, because of the responsibility we have to Zionism, to the modern state, to freedom, to liberalism, and all of the above. And this is not cliches. This is exactly why I came to politics. And this is kind of closing for you the, the, uh, uh, the meeting, I would say, because this is exactly why I came to politics and tried to contribute as much as I can to this vision 
to have my children and grandchildren living here. I, I was trying not to, uh, not to interrupt because it was very, very important. And the conversation itself was very brilliant and interesting. Professor Mem Knesset member Yossi Shein, Israel Betenu, thank you so much for being here with us in uh, Al Monitor. And we will take now a short break and come uh, right after it. Uh, thank you so us. Thank you for having me, Ben Kaspita. I really appreciate the time you gave me. Thank you very much. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Professor Knesset member Yossi Shein agrees with the, most of the analysts at the meeting, the first meeting between uh, Prime Minister Bennett and President Biden was a success. We still don't know the range of the success and we don't know all the details, but it looks like uh, something new and positive has begun. According to Professor Shein, one of the reasons is uh, maybe the ABB a principle, the anything but BB a concept that came from Washington after eight years of hostility between uh, President Obama, Prime Minister Netanyahu, and the, the, the notion that uh, the bond and the treaty between uh, President Trump and Netanyahu was so strong so now when uh, the new administration of the Democrats came to town, they cannot afford themselves another hostile Israeli government, and they wanted to start something from the beginning and to do it uh, in a positive way. And Naftali Bennett was actually the, the right man in the right time. His coalition is fragile, and uh, he's not uh, the perfect representative of all the parties in this coalition, but the goodwill was there, and this is a very good reason for the Americans that still don't know. They have to reassemble, according to uh, Professor Shane, the forces and uh, to understand what are the new goals after the painful withdrawal, uh, withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. So all these reasons together made Bennett maybe the man of the hour in Washington. Now we just have to wait and see what comes next for these two. And I hope you found it uh, interesting. And uh, from the Jewish between us, Happy New Year. I hope to see you here uh, next week in our monitoring on Israel. I'm back to speak. Take care. Bye-bye.